We're talking a New York Giants win today on the Locked On Giants podcast that's coming up next. You are Locked On Giants, your daily New York Giants podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, New York Giant fans, and welcome to another edition of the Locked On Giants podcast, part of the Locked On podcast family, your team every day. My name is Patricia Trainer. Happy to have you with us on this Monday, and it's a happy Monday. It's a victory Monday. We have a Giants victory to talk about, and uh, before we get into it, I want to first thank you for making the Locked On Giants podcast your first listen of the day. Really appreciate that, and um you know, appreciate all the listens and the feedback on YouTube, on all the channels that you might listen to us on. And I'm excited to bring you this particular episode. Now, I am going to go solo. Normally, I have David Turner with me to break down the uh, the games this week. Unfortunately, David wasn't able to tape. He's spending some much deserved time with his young daughter. So I said I would go and I would do it myself. And so I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to take a little different approach to, I think, uh, you know, breaking down this game for you. And I hope you like it. If you do, leave me a comment. If you if you don't, leave me a comment just as well. And, you know, I do read all your comments. As you know, on, on Facebook, I answer them as many as I can, as well as comments that come in via email. So any way you want to get in touch with me, it's all in the show notes. You know what to do. Just drop me a line. All right. So like I said, we have a New York Giants victory and I have my little game book here. So I'm going to cheat a little bit on my notes here, but 25 to three over the Carolina Panthers. Now, um, this was a game that I really thought that even though I picked the Giants to lose this game, when I did my Giants country predictions, I thought to myself after looking at it further, that maybe the Giants would have a chance to win this game. Maybe it wouldn't be as bad as maybe I thought it would be. And I put a tweet out and a lot of you were, I should say, some of you kind of laughed at me when I said, you know, if they win, this could be some nice momentum going into their game against Kansas City a week from today. And the first thing I want to mention, um, I kind of want to get this out of the way, because when the inactive report came out, a lot of you you know, read the inactive report, the tweet that I put out or the article that I had on Giants Country. And some of you were like, what is going on with all these injuries? And I had a thought, and this is just my spitballing here. I am not a trainer. I am not a sports scientist. Um, I'm not a doctor. This is just me spitballing. But I go back to training camp when the practices were open to the media and Joe judge would have the team do sprints afterwards, you know, post-practice conditioning, which I get the the reason for that. I mean, obviously, you know, you want to build up your stamina and your conditioning so that you are not, you know, dragging your tongue on the ground in the fourth quarter. But then I got to thinking, especially considering all the hamstring injuries that the receivers have, I thought to myself, you know what? In a practice, those guys are running a lot. Receivers are doing a lot of running around, as are cornerbacks, as are running backs. So is it really a good idea 
to have those guys do the same type of conditioning post-practice as the guys that don't do a lot of running, like the, the quarterbacks or the um, offensive and defensive linemen. You know, I just wonder, and I have made this point before, I've made this analogy before, you know, hamstrings are kind of like uh, a rubber band. You keep stretching and working them and working them. Eventually you're going to weaken them and they're going to tear. And and in some cases they might even snap. And I just, you know, in thinking about all these hamstring injuries, I wondered if maybe that had something to do with it. I mean, again, I don't know, this is me spitballing, but just wanted to put that out there because I know some of you have said, well, is it the surface that they're playing on and practicing on? I don't know that that's the case, but I do wonder if the extra conditioning is maybe overkill. A thought. All right. All right. Let's talk about the game now. I'm thrilled that the Giants won. All right. But, you know, I want to keep everything in perspective. The Panthers are not a very good football team right now. Their offensive line is probably just as bad, if not worse than the Giants. Their quarterback situation is a mess. You know, they're without their star running back, Christian McCaffrey, and they had some injuries also, I think, on the offensive side of the ball. So that said, you know, I I don't want to see the Giants, you know, took advantage of a walking wounded team. But one of the concerns I had with the Giants, and this is something that I had seen, you know, kind of week after week, is that the Giants tended to play down to the level of their opponent. I don't think they did that this week. I mean, the game started off a little shaky, and I'll get into that in just a little bit. But I thought for a change, the Giants played like, regardless of how the opponent was, you know, they they played at a level that they should be playing at. In other words, they weren't, you know, bowing down, I guess, to the level of competition. If the Giants can do that, and, and, you know, I mentioned the fact that, you know, if they could win this game, that maybe they can build some momentum and take that in with them when they play the Kansas City Chiefs a week from today, that maybe they can start to stack wins against teams with winning records or decent records or records that are better than that. And uh, I don't know what it's going to bring. I mean, you know, so far with this giant team, they win one and then they go back and they look, you know, like they're not ready for the season all over again. So I don't know what's going to happen moving forward, but just something that, you know, kind of struck me when I watched the scheme unfold that the giants didn't play down to the level of competition. I mean, there were mistakes. Don't get me wrong. The game wasn't perfect. There were some issues, but there were, there was enough to walk away from and say that the giants looked like a decent team for a change. All right. Another thing I want to talk about, and I found this kind of interesting. Um, There was a report at the start of the Fox TV broadcast by Shannon Spake, the sideline reporter. And Shannon, just to to, uh, paraphrase what she had to say, she spoke with head coach Joe Judge. Now, this broadcast team of um, Sherlith and um, Amin, I think, was was the uh, play-by-play guy and Shannon Spake. They were also with the team that called the game last week against the Los Angeles Rams. So they got the Giants assignment two weeks in a row. And Shannon Spake spoke with head coach Joe Judge, who obviously was so disgusted and fed up with his team's losing ways that he abandoned load management. And I want to talk about that for a little bit, because I think that 
help make a difference. Load management, for those not aware, that's when a coach basically puts a cap on how much work a player does. Now, that could be done because the GPS is saying this player is overworked or because, you know, a guy is injured or or whatever the case might be. I have never been a fan of load management, never been a fan of it. And here's why. All right. If a player is injured, I get it. You don't want to make an injury worse. But here's the thing. If you're establishing a certain load for a player, let's say during the course of the week, you say, you know, 40 snaps at practice. How are you assured that that player is going to see 40 snaps in a game? You're not because a game, you know, a player can see anywhere between 40 and 80 snaps, depending on, you know, how a game flows. So if you're putting a hard count or a hard limit on a player's workload management, and now that player suddenly has to do more than that limit, well, guess what? That player, chances are, is going to be gassed when you get to the fourth quarter. And I just don't get the concept behind that. If you've got a player that's relatively healthy, and I get it, some players have bumps and bruises that they're dealing with and you want to, you know, manage them. But, you know, if you have a relatively healthy player who's not on your injury report, why would you want to manage them? These guys get off on Tuesday. They were off last Monday. Um, They have a a walkthrough on Saturday. They had only an hour long practice on, on Wednesday, you know, in the week ahead, you know, they've got the Monday night game coming up, like I said, against Kansas city. So they will have Monday and Tuesday off. Saturday is going to be a travel day. So they do get time off to rest. Why limit the workload? It doesn't make sense to me. If anybody has an idea why or a thought, let me know. I'd be curious because I don't get it. And I don't see it as a positive for that matter. Matter of fact, I think it hurts the Giants or any team when they invoke the workload management. And, you know, I'm sure those GPS devices that they have have some value to them. But, you know. At the end of the day, it's how you feel. It really is. It's not what a machine tells you. It's how you feel physically. And I'm just surprised that they don't go back to that and use that more so than than some of this technology. All right, Giant fans, we have much more coming up on today's program. But first, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all the entertainment you love without the hassle. Check out Direct TV Stream. It brings you your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before, which means you can watch your favorite sports, television shows, movies, all in one place. And the best part of it is there is no annual contract. There's also no special devices needed. You can get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. Learn more at directtv.com. All right, Giant fans, continuing our recap and breakdown, just kind of some general thoughts, if you will, about the Giants win, the 25-3 win over the Carolina Panthers. Just some random thoughts. And again, for those of you who are tuning in at this particular segment in the show, I do not have David Turner with me. He's spending time with his daughter as I take this and, you know, much deserved. And I wanted to get this podcast out to you. I didn't want to wait until Monday morning to tape it. Um, because I know a lot of you are excited about the win. I'm excited about the win, so I'm excited to talk about it. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about Daniel Jones. And this is interesting because I actually got this question from a few of you 
in advance of Twitter Tuesday, which PS is tomorrow. So don't forget, get your questions in. Um, so a lot of you said, well, how are the Giants going to evaluate Daniel Jones when he doesn't have his playmakers around him? And I got to thinking and, and I said, gee, you know, that's a good question. But you know what? In watching how Daniel Jones performed against the Carolina Panthers, I think Daniel Jones is doing just fine making his own case. And by that, I mean, you know, you look at the resiliency, you look at the toughness, you look at the decision making that he makes. Um, you look at the fact that he rarely, if ever, has a meltdown if things around him aren't perfect. I mean, let's think about this for a minute. Most quarterbacks don't have everything around them perfect. Protection breaks down. A guy might drop a pass. Um, maybe a first down isn't converted or there's a busted play. You name it, any number of things can go wrong. And Daniel, when something goes wrong, guess what? He just picks himself up, gets back to the huddle, forgets about it, goes on to the next play. Doesn't get rattled by it. And, you know, you look at Sam Darnold, who I think came into the league a year before uh, Daniel Jones did. And Sam Darnold, just, you know, watching him, I, I almost felt bad for him because he was getting rattled and just really shaken. And it was at that moment I said to myself, you know what? Yeah, it sucks that Daniel Jones doesn't have all his weapons around him. It's It stinks that, you know, we can't fully appreciate what this offense is going to look like. But just based on Daniel Jones's play alone and what he's been able to do, you almost see that Eli Manning-like coolness to him. And that's very encouraging, I think. Because, um, you know, it's not something that a lot of quarterbacks have. All right. And then the other thing about Daniel Jones, if, if you're asking, well, how can the Giants evaluate him? Just look at this guy's athleticism. All right. Again, the Giants were missing, what, three receivers, four, no, four receivers, was it? It was, no, three, their top three receivers, Galladay, Tony, and Shepard. Um, they were missing Barkley. So what happens? Okay. Jones made plays with his feet. He even caught a pass. Um, he, he put his athleticism to work for the team. And that kind of compensated a little bit for what he didn't have. And that was very encouraging. And I don't know about you, but I kind of came away from that game thinking, okay, Daniel, you have just put another check mark, if you will, or ticked off another box towards proving that you are indeed worthy of being this franchise's quarterback for the next decade or so. Now, Jones is going to have his bad days. All quarterbacks do. Eli had them. Even the great Tom Brady has had them. But the idea is to have more good days than bad days. And I think of late, we can probably safely say that Jones has had more good days than he has had bad days. All right, continuing on with some thoughts from the game. You know, I wondered about this. I said, I wondered what would happen if the Giants won against the Panthers and if that would affect any plans for the team to be sellers with the trade deadline coming up on November 2nd. Because here's the thing. Right now, the Giants have a two and five record which is dead last in the NFC East 
despite the fact that Washington and Philadelphia have a similar record. I think the tiebreaker has to do with head-to-head in the case of Washington and then points scored if I'm not, no, I'm sorry, not points scored, um, division record. So I wondered, you know, because it's not so much how you start, it's how you finish. Right now, you look at the current conference uh, standings and the Giants have the second worst record just ahead of the Detroit Lions who are winless. So should the Giants, you know, as they hope to climb out of this hole that they've created for themselves, should they run the risk of trading guys away and being sellers at the trade deadline? And I think there's a two, two things we've got to consider. Number one, I think if the Giants somehow beat the Kansas City Chiefs next week, I wonder if perhaps they, they will refrain from making any deals because the Chiefs, despite their record, they're still a pretty good team and they still are the defending AFC champions. So I wonder if the Giants, you know, if they, if they pull off of an upset victory, would they call off any plans to, to be sellers? Even though I think they, they still should be, given the cap relief. Um, which I'll I'll probably look to talk about in an upcoming show. We'll talk about that. Um, we'll devote something to the the trade deadline. But um, but yeah, I mean, in thinking about that, do you want to dismantle a team if this team is starting to go from you know down here, starting to you know go up? That's a tough decision to make because. You can always cut guys next year to save salary cap space. This year, if you're, you know, putting together a string of good football, do you want to disrupt that? Now, here's the other thing. If Dave Gettleman is not back next year, if he and the Giants part ways, do you really want Dave Gettleman making those trades? And here's my thought on that. I would have no problem with it regardless because Joe Judge is going to be here next year unless he decides to up and quit, which I just don't see happening. And as far as players who may or may not be in the in the plans for the long term, despite what Joe Judge says about being focused and in the moment, he knows pretty much who I think he wants to have on the team. It's pretty obvious when you look at play time percentage and all that stuff. So I would not have a problem if the Giants do decide to be sellers. Um, at the trade deadline. And of course, the trade, de- the trade deadline is the day after their Monday night game against the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. But we'll see what the week brings. I mean, you know, I I just think the Giants have so many injuries right now, you know, and I had read something um, before the game Sunday that, you know, Will Hernandez was a candidate to be traded. You know, Evan Ingram's obviously a candidate, Jabril Peppers. You know, Will Hernandez who are you going to plug in at right guard? I mean, I know Will Hernandez didn't have the best game against the the Panthers, but who are you going to plug in at that point? You really want to go with another offensive line configuration? I'm not sure I would want that at this stage. Um, you know, Evan Ingram, all right, I could see that move being made, but with Caden Smith's knee being kind of, you know, iffy and landing him on the, the injury report for the last few weeks, would they move Evan Ingram? I don't know. Jabril Peppers, same thing. You know, Peppers now has an injury. Would they look to move him? I don't know. I I, I don't think they would, but 
certainly you can make a case for that in an argument. And again, I, I don't want to get too deep into this topic because I do hope to talk about this on an upcoming show in the next several days, but um, just a thought I had about, about that. Hey, giant fans, if you do a lot of driving like I do during the course of the week, then you need to know all about this fantastic app called GetUpside. When you open an account on GetUpside, you can get up to 25 cents off per gallon back every time you fill up at the pump. The GetUpside app makes it easy for you to save on your gasoline, and they give you multiple cash-out options, such as direct payment to your bank account, PayPal, Amazon gift cards, and more. And they're available anytime you want to cash out. Open an account today and use our special promo code TOUCHDOWN to get a bonus 25 cents back per gallon on your first fill-up. So that's up to 50 cents back per gallon on your first fill-up. Download the free app, Get Upside, and use our special promo code TOUCHDOWN when you sign up for your account and start saving every time you fill up your car or truck at the pump. Again, that's the Get Upside app. It's available in the iTunes store or Google Play store. And our special promo code when you sign up for your account is TOUCHDOWN to get 50 cents back off your first fill up. All right, Giant fans, still more to come on today's show. But first, let me tell you about Bilt Bar. Bilt Bar is a healthy, low-carb, low-sugar, and high-protein treat that will satisfy your sweet tooth. Choose from nine amazing flavors, plus the occasional limited-time flavor. And by the way, Bilt Bar is rolling out a new flavor, it seems like, every week. So you'll want to check out their website to see what they've got coming out. Anyway, their flavors are available in nut and nut-free variety. And for a limited time, when you visit BiltBar.com, and use our special promo code LOCK15, you can save 15% off your first order. Again, that's LOCKED15 for 15% off your first order at BuiltBar.com. All right, Giant fans, we are on a victory Monday. We are talking about the Giants 25-3 win over the Carolina Panthers Not very often we get to talk about a win, but here we are, and I'm happy to do so. I hope you are enjoying the show. And again, for those of you who are wondering where David Turner is, he is spending much deserved time with his daughter, so I'm carrying the show solo today. Hope you don't mind. All right, a couple of other thoughts I want to bring up about the Giants win and just the Giants in general. Lost in the fact that the Giants won this game is that there were still a few glaring issues. The offensive line play was all over the place. I thought both tackles, by the way, were just not very good. They, I mean, two mistakes. I think both uh, Matt Parrott and and, um, Nate Solder were flagged for ineligible downfield. I mean, how does that happen? You also had got, you know, had those guys giving up pressures, which just, you know, Thank goodness Daniel Jones can move around and avoid the hits. But anyway, the other thing that really bothered me is that in the first half of this game, the Giants had um, six drives in the first half. And of those six drives, the Giants crossed midfield four times, but only came away with three points. Not good. That is not going to cut it against the better teams. So 
scoring was a bit of a challenge, you know, for the Giants, they started off slow. But the good news is that in the second half, on their final seven drives, actually we'll say six because I, sh- I shouldn't really count the last drive because it's, it, it ended the game. But on their final six drives, they crossed midfield four times in a row and they scored all four times. Two touchdowns sandwiched in between two field goals. A little bit better. So that was good to see. And the Giants hopefully will be able to keep that up as they play, you know, stiffer competition moving forward. All right, a couple more thoughts from the game. Now, coming into the game, Carolina head coach Matt Rule basically said, we're going to run the ball. And how did the Giants respond? Well, they took that challenge personally, and they held the Panthers to 56 yards on 17 carries along of 13. And that averages out, by the way, to 3.3 yards per carry. Chubba Hubbard had uh, 12 carries, 28 yards, 2.3 average. Good for the Giants for standing up to to the, uh, the challenge because the run defense, I don't have to tell you, the run defense has just not been very good. Now, what changed? I've got to look at the film. I haven't looked at it as I record this because I am recording this on Sunday night. But they added um, an Ardrick McKinney to the mix, who is a noted run stuffer. And I think just on a first glance, I think he made a significant difference. I saw guys up front finally getting off of blocks as opposed to getting caught up in the wash. I thought that was the key. And I saw linebackers and safeties, you know, when they would bring up Jabril Peppers, for example, filling holes. These were all things we didn't see, you know, a lot of, or at least on a consistent basis with this Giants run defense. And we finally saw it. So good for the Giants run defense for standing up and basically telling the Panthers, you want to run on us? Go ahead. We're going to stop you. Good for them. All right. I've got one last point that I have to make. And this is kind of, um, I know the answer to this one, but I'm just going to put it out there anyway. I am a big Eli Penny fan. All right. Um, When I see Eli Penny run, I kind of like his running style. I like how he sticks his foot in the ground and just goes ahead and just pushes ahead. Um, I like when he is used as as a receiver. He's pretty reliable with the ball in his hands. That said, I understand why he doesn't get a lot of touches. All right. You've got Saquon, you've got Kenny Galladay, you've got Kadarius Tony, Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram, Kyle Rudolph. You got so many guys in front of him that there's just not enough touches to go around. Well, this week, ladies and gentlemen, Eli Penny got, I, th- I believe, a season high nine carries on which he gained 24 yards as a rusher. Now, that might sound to you like big deal, 24 yards on nine carries, which is a 2.7 average. But let's break this down, shall we? All right, let's break this down. So tucked in those 24 yards were four big third down rushing plays, three of which Penny converted into first downs, including on the final drive of the game, in which um, I think there was 159 left in the game and Penny got the first down 
and the Giants were able to, you know, kneel in the victory formation to run out the clock, right? The other third down that Penny didn't convert came on a third and 12, a play in which he picked up four yards. Now you're probably saying, so what, right? Okay, but Penny doesn't pick up those four yards. The Giants now have to try a 48-yard field goal versus a 44-yarder. Now, Graham Gano, obviously he can make a 48-yarder. He can make a 44-yarder. That's all in his range. But ideally, the closer you can get for the kicker to make his field goals, the better. So in this case, no, the numbers aren't you know eye-popping or player of the week worthy. But my gosh, were they important. And I am so happy that Eli Penny got that opportunity because every time he gets the ball of late, good things happen. And I hope moving forward, he gets the ball a lot more. I don't know if he will, you know, especially when Saquon comes back. And um, before the game, there was actually a report that uh, Saquon might uh, be back next week against the, uh, against the Chiefs. Although I think realistically they'll hold them out until after the bye. But I'd like to see the Giants continue to find snaps for Eli Penny. Okay, I do have one more thing. I'm sorry. I do. I, I've, I've got to talk about the defense and I've got to talk about Aziz Ojulari. All right. This kid had a quiet two weeks after starting off, you know, basically on fire. He finished this week's game five tackles which was fourth on the team. Um, He finished with two and a half sacks, which led the team, three tackles for a loss, four quarterback hits. The Giants had a total of 10 quarterback hits. Ojulari had four. Okay. Um, And then also worth noting here is Ojulari, even though he finished fourth on the team in tackles, I talked about the Giants run defense before, and normally you want to see your leading tacklers be your linebackers and defense alignment. Well, guess what, folks? Tay Crowder, Leonard Williams, Jabril Peppers, and Ojulari were your top four tacklers on the Giants defense. That means that stuff wasn't leaking out past that second level as a whole. That was a plus. But let me get back to Ojulari because I love this kid, the explosiveness he brings. And, you know, one of the things that that I had long wondered about was would the Giants ever find themselves another legitimate homegrown homegrown stud pass pass rusher? I think this Ojulari kid can be that guy for them. I really, really do. And it was nice to see him. Okay. And, and again, I know the offensive line, the Panthers offensive line was banged up. It was patchwork, but you've got to start somewhere. And I think it would have been more alarming had the Giants not been able to do anything against that offensive line. So hopefully this performance, not just by Ojulari, but by the team in general, can be used as a springboard for better days ahead to where maybe this time next week, or actually not this week, to where maybe when we do our wrap-up show on Tuesday of next week, we're talking about another win, right? Wouldn't that be cool? I know I would enjoy it. So, all right, Giant fans, that will do it 
for this edition of the Lachlan Giants podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Again, don't forget tomorrow is Twitter Tuesday. You can send your questions to me via email, Lachlan Giants podcast at gmail.com. That is in the show notes. Uh, you can tweet them to me at Patricia underscore trainer. You see my Twitter handle below. Make sure you tag them, ask P train so I can find them. I have a special column set up on my desktop for the ask P train questions to come in. Um, so hopefully uh, I'll hear from you and I look forward to answering your questions. Thank you so much for making the Lockdown Giants podcast your first listen of the day until tomorrow. Giant fans have a great one.